1: And hello everyone. Welcome to AOA. Mike Adams sitting in again today here on AOA before Jesse Allen takes over as the new host of AOA on Monday. And I know he has a lot of exciting things planned for the show and you can tune in for great coverage and conversation, discussion about the issues important to agriculture and rural America. So be sure to join Jesse on Monday. But thanks for joining us today. Here's what we'll be talking about and Who we'll be talking with, we're going to talk markets, these volatile markets, with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. We're going to preview the Farm Progress Show that is coming up in just a little bit at the end of August in Decatur, Illinois. Farm Progress Show. We'll talk with show manager Matt Youngman about what they have planned for this year's big show. And with fall harvest very close by now, coming up before we know it, we'll talk uh, transportation issues with Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition. Uh, what we should expect and what's going on get an update on some of the uh, projects um, improvement projects on the rivers locks and dams things like that so all that coming up on today's program but we're going to start it off today with a good friend who joins us the president and ceo of the renewable fuels association jeff cooper jeff how are you i'm doing great mike how are you good to talk with you again we won't talk about our cardinals uh, that's kind of been a <laughs> a sore spot this year so we'll move right along let's talk about another challenge and that is uh what's facing the ethanol industry you have made some comments recently been quoted saying you f- you feel your industry's under attack why
2: well it's it's not so much under attack as it is just i mean we, we've got a, a flood of new policies and regulations coming out of washington that are forcing uh, electrification and forcing the the market to move toward electric vehicles, and and obviously, if you're in the liquid fuels business, um, that's going to cause concern for us. Uh, but but really, the the reason we are most concerned and, and and do feel somewhat under attack is there's just no fairness, and no consistency in how these regulations are are being drafted and and adopted. Um, I mean, we we've got, you know, the EPA essentially forcing automakers to make electric vehicles to comply with the, the proposed tailpipe standards that they released a few weeks ago. And, and we just see that as um, you know highly problematic. And, and again, if the goal of all these policies and all these regulations is to reduce carbon emissions from transportation, we can do that with ethanol. And we've been saying that for years. Uh, and we're just looking for a level playing field and the ability to compete uh and and show these policymakers that we can accomplish their goals of reducing carbon by using higher level blends of ethanol
1: i remember a couple of years ago this is what we talked about the fear was of this when this administration came in we knew there would be a push in this direction uh, we were concerned that they would overlook or not take advantage of the technology that's available right now to reduce carbon right. and 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 help the environment and that is in renewable fuels and kind of gradually you know if you're going to go towards electric vehicles things like that you know kind of be the transition to that but instead you use the word force they are trying to force this uh, new technology and these vehicles on us
2: yeah that's exactly right and and we were concerned a couple of years ago about uh, just you know, what this administration would want to do in terms of electrification. Uh, but the push has been harder and faster than even, you know, anybody imagined back then. And and even the automakers uh, who have been generally supportive of a transition to an uh, electrified fleet, you know, even even they are now saying, look, this is a bridge too far, this latest proposal from EPA. Uh, even EPA is admitting that it, it it would essentially force automakers to stop making as many internal combustion engines as they are today, and and dramatically increase their production of battery electric vehicles. And the automakers are saying, "Look, we're not sure that the, that consumers want these vehicles. Um, you know, you, you can force us to make them, uh, but at the end of the day, somebody's got to buy them. Somebody wants to 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 own these vehicles. And and right now, we're already beginning to see a little bit of a, a lull or a slowdown in consumer interest." in electric electric vehicles we're starting to see a lot of inventory of evs pile up at dealer lots and they're just not moving the units like they were you know six months or a year ago
1: we're talking with jeff cooper president and ceo of the renewable fuels association let's talk about sustainable aviation fuel a lot of potential Mm -hmm. here uh but there there are some challenges and some questions Uh, give us an update
2: yeah, it, it's an enormous opportunity uh, for the ethanol industry. We we see ethanol as a uh, as a, a great candidate to be the feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel moving forward. Uh, and there has been quite a bit of supportive policy coming out of Washington D.C. There's a a new tax credit for uh, sustainable aviation fuel that was in the Inflation Reduction Act. But the devil is in the details on how these things are going to work. Uh, and we are greatly concerned that when IRS goes to write the rules for implementing this tax credit, which they are in the process of doing, uh, they've got to use the right modeling and 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 how you measure carbon intensity and carbon reduction. Uh, that is going to determine what fuels, you know, what what renewable fuels and what feedstocks, whether that's um, you know corn ethanol or oil seed, you know, soybean-based biodiesel. That modeling is going to determine which of those fuels can actually um, qualify for that tax credit, and and which ones can't. And so we have been adamant that the IRS uses the Department of Energy's GREET model when they go to do that that carbon, you know, that carbon measurement. And there's actually been some legislation introduced this week um, that would. Uh, put some uh, more specificity around the the model that um, IRS and the Federal Aviation Administration and others need to use when doing that sort of analysis.
1: Because we've seen before, when the government starts doing some modeling for whatever yep. is they're is they're proposing, it depends on what information and data you put in there, and I know at times we've – you have felt, and others in the ethanol industry felt, they've used the wrong information, or inaccurate, or outdated information, even to come up with a conclusion. Yeah,
2: and that's that's exactly what we're worried about with sustainable aviation fuels. We've seen this before, like you said, Mike, with the RFS2. Uh, where EPA, you know, back in 2010, 2011, uh, used lots of outdated and incorrect information, and we ended up with a carbon score uh, for corn ethanol that we that we think is completely wrong and inaccurate, and it was from the from the get-go. We're worried the same thing could happen with sustainable aviation fuel, especially because there is another model out there um, that is being pushed by some of the environmental groups, and it's being pushed by, you know, European NGOs who really should have no business um, determining what we're doing here in the U.S., uh, and that model produces results for corn ethanol and, and soybean-based biodiesel that are completely erroneous and, and would lock us out of uh, the sustainable aviation fuel opportunity. So that's that's exactly
1: what we're worried about. All right, Jeff, keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. Good to talk with you again. Hey, same here, Mike. Take care. Take care. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. While wow, these markets are wild, they're volatile, a lot going on with weather here in the U.S. and, of course, the... Uh, Uh, what's going on in Ukraine and being able to ship uh, grain around the world. We're going to talk about all that with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. That's next here on AOA.
0: Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
3: In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
1: Welcome back. Mike Adams sitting in today. Again, Jesse Allen, the new host of AOA, will take over on Monday. Well, I mentioned yesterday that these volatile markets, uh, no place for the faint of heart. You've really got to hang on here as uh, we get these wild swings. So much going on. Let's talk about it with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? Doing good. So, uh, wow, up and down, right? you got to just uh, take each day as it comes. And a lot can happen within a day, certainly with what's going on in Ukraine and weather concerns in this country, a lot
5: happening. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, you came into the week, you know, with a lot of angst and, uh, you know, I guess fear over what was going on in the Black Sea region. A couple of ports were getting bombed over the weekend and a lot of question marks as to how much grain would flow out of that part of the region. So, you know, uh, you started out the week with these corn up 32, no beans up 22, you know, and that told you that uh, it's not all weather. I mean, if it would have been more weather, uh, considering there's still yet more to be determined as far as the bean crops concerned. You would have thought beans would have been up more than corn. So definitely a lot of that Black Sea region-type influence early in the week. As the weeks wore on, though, you know, we gave up all those gains. And so as we speak, we're actually down on the week for uh, new crop corn and new crop soybeans. So, you know, it's one of those uh, deals where a person has to keep their head on a swivel because uh, this thing uh, seems to change about every day.
1: Matt, you talk with producers all across the country. What are they saying about their crop? Are they concerned with uh, their production for this year? Yeah,
5: you know, it just depends on where you're at. Unfortunately, there's some spots that have been hit much harder than others, for instance, in Missouri and Wisconsin and you know parts of Minnesota have been just excessively dry. Uh, you get into Illinois, obviously, it's in the drought monitor, Iowa is as well. I feel like a lot of these areas in the high states, have had well timed rain events. I'm not saying we're going to see a 214 yield in Illinois. I don't. I don't expect that. But Mike, I've been in my own fields and uh, was pleasantly surprised as to what kind of prospects I have now with this heat, with these high overnight temperatures. Uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt that we're going to see some uh, tip uh, tip back, and I think that you're going to see some of these uh, kernels shallowed up just a shade you know, if we don't end up getting really good fall through rain. But uh, bottom line, I think there's some pretty good corn out there still.
1: And we know August is a key month for beans, and uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, so I think that bean crop is really yet to be determined.
5: Oh, for sure. You know, you could probably see anything from a bean crop, you know, 46 or 7 bushel up to, maybe 52 or 3. Uh, I know a lot of folks feel like the rain hasn't happened in, uh, uh, enough to be able to have a really good bean crop yet, but we all know that these beans, uh, you can about kill them and still have awfully good yields if you get rain at the right time. So, you know, I, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, right now I'm, I'm still, I think the verdict's out. I think we could have a pretty good bean crop yet, but it's all dependent upon August. We know that uh, uh, this weather's been strange this year. You know, we had an extreme, uh, early on in the year extremely uh uh dry not necessarily super hot but in the first two weeks of uh, july uh, we had an extreme there with quite a bit of rain actually in a lot of places and then we turned into another extreme and uh, this is the first time i think in my farming career that i've seen those extremes follow so closely uh one after another three in a row it's just been quite an interesting summer for weather
1: yeah For production to be determined, we'll see. We're talking with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. All right, Matt, as you talk to farmers and they're trying to figure out a marketing plan, what to do, when to sell, when to hold, what are you telling them?
5: Yeah, I mean, what we've told them here lately is, uh, you know, ratcheting up your worst-case scenario in times of rallies uh, is really, in my opinion, the best way to go about this. I understand that whenever corn takes off on the 75-cent rally, that you don't necessarily want to step in, you know, and sell, because everyone's getting bulled up at that point, but at the same time, you know, that's the opportunity we're all waiting on, and so you don't want to get uh, handcuffed just by the fact that, you know, we're typically always looking for more. I mean, I understand the mentality of it, so we've been trying to tell folks at least lock in some worst-case scenarios, uh, no beans are back under $14. But, you know, we were safely above that level. A lot of folks talking, you know, 15 could happen. Hey, it still could, Mike, but uh, bottom line is I don't want to turn my nose up at $14 beans when there's been a lot of years that I would have lived to have had $10 beans. I know our expenses are more hmm. right now. I'm well aware of that. But we can all make money at uh, 14 basis our APH for insurance. I, I feel plenty, uh, plenty sure of that
1: what's going to go on now moving forward with this wheat market with the uncertainty over in the black sea region but still a lot of wheat around the world what do you see happening
5: yeah that's a great question mike and here's how i'd answer it you know there's a lot of wheat in the black sea region now uh, as far as the disruption that we've seen uh, we obviously know that it it disrupts uh, grain flows you can't get uh, wheat to certain parts of the world when you want to get it. And so that has created some major market volatility. But the fact remains there's wheat in that part of the world. It's going to find a home at some point. So I don't want to get super bowled up over what I would call kind of an outside influence uh, which is is all this distraction with this wheat market? Uh, whenever you look at the Black Sea region, so my personal opinion here is that uh, we've got enough wheat in the U.S. We've probably got a decent crop coming. Uh, we've got enough wheat uh, globally, and I I've got a. I've got to be cautious as to turn my nose up again uh, anytime we uh, have had the kind of rallies we've had lately. You know, I, it, it just to me it, it it still seems like the wheat market could have a little more downside, uh, like we're seeing here on Friday. So uh, I want to lock in some of these returns because I know a lot of these wheat uh, growers, especially in soft red country, you know, harvested yields that they hadn't seen before, um, and so there was some awfully good wheat in my part of the world.
1: When you look at our grain sales as of late what are they what are those sales telling you
5: yeah i mean the unfortunate reality of corn is not excessively behind on on new crop sales i mean a couple three good weeks and you could probably get somewhat caught up to what we usually see but as far as beans are concerned i mean we're drastically behind where we've been in the past at this point in the marketing year as far as those new crop sales and so i think china's been very patient i think china's looking at world bean supplies Yes, the a uh, domestic situation is quite tight. But from a world standpoint, it looks like we're going to build stocks maybe by around 20% year on year. I think China's watching that closely, and they're just kind of waiting around and being very patient. I'm not saying they're not going to buy U.S. beans, because they probably will. Uh, but Brazil's got a captive supply, a huge amount of uh, soybeans available due to their large soybean crops. And I've got to think that uh, China's going to be patient Uh, They'll step in and buy beans at some point, but they're not going to do it, I don't believe, uh, after the kind of rally we've seen the last few weeks.
1: Say what you will about China. They are smart buyers, aren't they?
5: Oh, absolutely. They're the best marketers in the world a lot of times. And so they're very shrewd marketers and uh, seem to know how to play the game quite well and can be very patient. Uh, but I would uh, you've know, got to understand they still have a, a, a population that uh, has an appetite for protein. They're still going to end up buying, but, uh, you know, uh, their their habits as far as when they buy – uh, certainly going to be something to uh, behold because uh, I do think that when they do finally start buying, it could certainly give us a little bit of support. Uh, but I think you're going to have to get to lower levels to get there.
1: Looking at outside factors that impact the markets, what do you make of the the recent Fed moves this week?
5: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to uh, look at that and, and understand that uh, given the jobs report, given the CPI cooling off, I mean, inflation certainly would suggest. Uh, that they could go ahead and make that move. Uh, It's been interesting to kind of watch how they've uh, handled this. And, uh, you know, we all kind of felt like there might have been a recession coming on. uh, And who knows? You still could have something happen on down the road, but as of right now, it certainly looks like we've kind of dodged the bullet. So uh, are they going to see more rate hikes? I'm not sure, but I do think that eventually, you know, this higher interest rate is certainly going to work its way into the U.S. consumer's mindset because, uh, uh, you know, whether it's housing starts or home purchases, uh, uh, those factors are going to have to be strongly considered because, uh, you know, the cost of being able to buy some of these products if you don't have cash on hand is certainly going to be quite a bit more than what it was. Well, we're about
1: to enter that uh, the guessing season. Uh, everyone will start making their uh, their projections and predictions and estimates on the crop.
5: Yeah, I mean, I I think the trade's probably currently uh, sub-175 as far as what they're thinking for corn and probably in that uh, 50-bushel range as far as soybeans. But, you know, I think it's anyone's guess as to how we finish this thing up. Uh, Certainly look at the drought monitor, and you've got to think that uh, crops aren't going to be fantastic. But at the same time, Mike, you know, as well as I do, these genetics are capable of quite a bit more than what they've been in the past. So, you know, I do think, and there could be some surprises out there, uh, but right now, I got to think the trade is thinking, uh, uh, you know, a little bit under one seventy-five on corn.
1: Yep, close watch on the weather forecast and eye to the sky. All right, Matt. Uh, always good to talk with you. I probably see you, you're going to be at the Farm Progress Show, I'm
5: sure, right? Oh yeah, I'll be there hanging around. So maybe we'll be able to catch up there, buddy. Good talking. Okay, to
1: you. take care, Matt. Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. Well, speaking of the Farm Progress Show. It's coming up right away. We're going to preview it coming up next. The Farm Progress Show will be in Decatur, Illinois, August 29th through the 31st. We're going to talk with Matt Youngman, Farm Progress Show Manager, next. Find out what they have planned for everyone at the big show coming up in a few weeks. We'll get the update next on AOA.
6: Why do you listen? Anytime I'm talking to a friend about new music and I don't know what it is, it's probably because they were listening to radio and I was.
7: I'm nosy. I like to know what's going on, and radio usually is right there telling me what and when is going on and where it's going on. Oh, listen in the barn, skid loader, tractor, and just about anywhere you can.
8: When you put the lights on on the barn, the radio went on.
3: Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today.
9: You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Well, as we close out the week here, grain and oil seeds are under heavy selling pressure today. We're most likely seeing a bit of profit taking and squaring up positions before the end of the week and the end of the month on Monday. We're also seeing some improved weather patterns in the near future. Currently, heat is expected to remain entrenched in central and southwestern portions of the Midwest over the coming week. But after that, temps do moderate, and temps are already moderating in the far northwestern Midwest, with readings expected in the 70s today, with readings moderating across the northern 60% of the Midwest by tomorrow. Ridge-running storms are expected to continue riding over and around the top of the ridge. These storms will be scattered in nature, providing good rains for those fortunate enough to get them. It will, however, leave other areas high and dry. Rain chances become more active in two weeks, though, through the central part of the Midwest, leading into what is expected to be a generally favorable weather pattern during August. Big question, though, is what's the scope on the damage done during the two periods of stress this year, June and again in late July here. We'll see a lot more people walking fields to make yield estimates as we get into August. Most likely, we'll see a lot of variability depending on the area and the specific hybrids planted. Next Wednesday, StoneX will release its August customer production survey and several other private estimates in the days that follow. Those will set the tone going into the August USDA WASDE crop report. Now, end users are getting a bit nervous that this year's supply may fall short, and they are starting to step up coverage of new crop soybeans, China, Mexico, and unknown destinations, most likely China, purchased a combined 33.4 million bushes of soybeans overnight, continuing the pickup in demand we've seen for the new crop soybeans in recent days. New crop sales prior to this have been very slow, with buyers focused on lingering cheaper Brazilian supplies. Crude oil today is sitting right about $80 a barrel. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet.
7: Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute.
3: Hey honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
1: All right, welcome back. Mike Adams sitting in today. Jesse Allen takes over as the new host of AOA coming up on Monday. Be sure to join him. Well, we're only about a month away from the Farm Progress Show. Decatur, Illinois, this year, August 29th through the 31st. And here with a preview, Farm Progress Show manager, Matt Youngman. Hi, Matt.
6: You all ready to go? We are all ready to go. It's like a time machine talking to you, Mike.
1: <laughs> like like the good old days, right? Well, we've done this a time or two, previewing the show. and um, Well, I know it's hot and dry, drier than usual, but for uh, central Illinois. How do the crops look at Decatur?
6: The crops look good. You know, we went through that. As you well know, we went through that really dry spell at the beginning of the growing season and then got some rains there in the middle part. And, and now it's it's turning off dry again with, with some rains off and on in the forecast. The heat's going to let up here uh, a little bit this weekend. So um, the, the crop is in great shape. We're, we're getting plenty of heat units. You know, normal, you've been through this with me so many times um but we got it in the ground nice and early it was all in the ground by april 14th and we've gotten we've gotten enough heat more than enough heat units and, and enough water to where we can look forward to really good field demos it's, it's as you've seen me be nervous about this in the past this isn't one of those years
1: yeah that's a relief uh yeah we've we've sat there and talked and we've gone out in the fields together and looked and you in years past have wondered are we going to be able to have field demos or not it's good to have that uh, question off the table
6: that is exactly right. You know, last year we weren't able to do it in Boone just because we couldn't get it in the ground in time, but no worries about that this year.
1: That's good. We're talking with Matt Youngman, Farm Progress Show manager, Farm Progress Show coming up August 29th through the 31st in Decatur, Illinois. Uh, Matt, I know you. we always talk about what's going to be new at the Farm Progress Show and uh, kind of reflective of what's going on with the new technology that's out there. Uh, you're going to have a lot of that on display this year, aren't
6: you? We are. You know, you can, you can kind of... You can kind of group group it in, into a few different buzzwords. We're gonna have we're gonna have AI, and when you say AI, not everybody knows exactly what that means. I'm not sure I do, but but the kind of technology that allows for CN uh, and spray, smart sprayer technology. That's gonna be that that there's a lot of advancements being made and unveiled at the show. That's actually gonna be running out in the in the autonomy uh, zone. So you're gonna see machines selecting weeds and individually spraying them. You're going to have uh, UAVs. You know, a lot of sprayer UAVs. Spray, that that technology is is maturing, and you've got several companies with with UAV sprayers. And you know, something new that's that's made a little bit of a drop last year in Boone, but is going to make a kind of a big impact on this year's show are electric vehicles. And everybody knows you can buy an electric pickup, but. There are going to be electric tractors unveiled, uh, electric zero-turn mowers, electric forklifts. There's there's just a lot of electric vehicles, and, and a lot of the, the new product introductions revolve around that. And then, obviously, autonomy. You know, Those are kind of the big four things, AI, UAVs, electric vehicles, and then autonomy. For several years now, the autonomy stuff has, has all been Raven, and now there's actually competitors to Raven bringing their own autonomous solutions, as well as Raven uh, unveiling a new product on their path to autonomy. So, uh, yeah, lots of stuff. And, and, you know, the cool part is that, that all the cool things we're talking about, all of them are going to be running out there either in the field demonstrations or right there by tram loading area in the autonomy zone.
1: And a lot of questions about that technology. This is the place to get those questions answered.
6: That's exactly right. You know, you can you can go and, and you may be standing there talking to the engineer that helps help create this thing when, when you're asking the questions and literally kicking the tires and, and even if it's not for you today maybe come take a look at it and see you know try to start to envision how it might impact your operation at some point down the road.
1: We're talking with Matt Youngman, Farm Progress Show Manager about the Farm Progress Show coming up in Decatur, Illinois, August 29th through the 31st. I think I read where you're going to make some changes uh, in your varied industry tents. Tell us about that.
6: Really excited about that. You know, If you're familiar with the Decatur Show, um, with the show site itself, the very Industries tent would start at West Avenue and then go, you know, 200 feet short of Central Avenue with some exhibitors there on Central. And the VIP was always the place that sold out first. We would, we would run out of space in there first. So we, we partnered with the companies that were kind of in the way of us extending that tent. And I need to, you know, give a big thanks to Polaris and Whipples, Mitos and Trellabark because those are the four companies that – we had to kind of evict and go find a different home for them so that we could take the varied industries tent and run it all the way from West Avenue to Central Avenue. And, and because, and, and we we already do that similar thing in Boone, but because the blocks are longer in Decatur, this is the, this is the largest tent we have ever put up. It's over an acre of, of tents, uh, all connected there. And, you know, what's really cool about that as well, when you think about the varied industries tent is a great partnership from Illinois Soybean, we're going to have recycled asphalt with a soybean oil binder on the surface of under the Varied Industries tent. That is that is literally going in as we speak, and the tent will be going in next week. Uh, so it'll be a nice, hard, firm surface in there as opposed to dust and wood chips and mud and what folks have kind of come to know there in the Varied Industries tent. We, we did that last year with the Iowa soybean. And it was just an amazing improvement. It's it's crazy how just changing the flooring in that tent uh, changes the the look and feel of of what's going on in there. Yeah, it makes a huge difference.
1: Well, what about the exhibit uh, uh, field? Is The exhibit areas are going
6: to be full this year. It is. You know, we when we go to work on building the 2023 map, we start with the 2021 map. The last time we were in Decatur, and if you remember, 2021 show, there was still a lot of COVID. You know, COVID was a concern in 2021, so you had companies that either didn't have inventory so couldn't take as much space because they just didn't have things to put on it, and you also had some companies that, because of corporate mandates, they couldn't exhibit in in a COVID environment. So, what we had in 2021 was about 90% of a Farm Progress show. Well, I can tell you that this year we're having 100% of a Farm Progress show because it is is full. We are just about out of Varied Industries tent, even with the increased size we are out of junior lots and just a few regular lots left here and there. And so, you know, when you, when you're thinking about nine hundred and fifty exhibit spaces and you have 10 or 15 of them left, you're, you're 99% sold out. So really excited about the way the exhibitors have come back and there's tons of new product introductions going on. Show sites in great shape. Field demos are in great shape. Uh, Advanced tickets are running ahead of pace. Golf carts are sold out. You know, we're a month out from the show and, all indications are that we're we're on our way to a really good one.
1: Having a concert again this year?
6: We are not. That was a really great partnership with Case IH, uh, and and Lee Bryce, and uh, did that in twenty one and twenty two, and and we just couldn't couldn't get a sponsor put together to put that on. We'll we'll probably have that again, but we we've, we've backfilled that area with some sprayer drones and a few other things uh, to to utilize that space and give folks some exposure there, but. Uh, Look forward to doing a concert at some point in the future. Those are those are that was a really special evening. I think back to that that Case KSH concert in 2021.
1: You mentioned advanced tickets. How do they? How do people purchase those?
6: Pretty much anything you'd need, you can find at FarmProgressShow.com. Um, I, I said we were out of golf carts. There's still golf carts available on Thursday. I should I should fix that statement. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, advanced tickets. The map is there. The exhibitor list is there. You can also download the app. And it's kind of like having the show program there in your phone. But uh, when you buy those advanced tickets at the website, you can either print out your barcode or have your barcode on your phone and just walk up to the gate, get scanned, get a wristband, and, and in you go. I want to
1: talk about the show site itself, Matt. For those of us that remember when it all started there in Decatur, it's amazing how far you've come and the improvements and the, the development that's taken place there. Uh, will they see anything different infrastructure-wise at the show site?
6: um you know it's it's kind of little refining things on the agco lot there's a new gsi bin chief has replaced their bin so there's a nice bright shiny chief bin at the northwest corner um there's some road repairs so we're, we're fixing tuning the roads up to get ready for this year's show right now um but generally everything is in place and it it, it would be so sim- the, the infrastructure is similar to what folks have, have come to know and and you know, we, when we signed the deal originally in 2004, we were going to do 10 shows over 20 years. And believe it or not, Mike, this is the 10th show that we've wow. done And you know, in 18 years. It, it, it sure has gone by quickly. And, you mm-hmm. know, no, no plans to change anything. We've got nice long-term agreements in Decatur and in Boone, Iowa. So, you know, the, the foundation is very strong.
1: Time does go by quickly. Uh, so you've got your areas for campers. You're getting all that ready to go?
6: Yep. David Bricks has done a great job taking care of, of the parking lots and the field demos. All the host farmers have, have done a really good job. Um, folks can come. The campgrounds will open at, at noon the day before the show, so Monday. So if you're going to Half Century of Progress, uh, you'll hang out up there until Monday and then come down and you can get parked on Monday at noon and get yourself set. There's, there's, we, we just kind of dedicate a hunk of the parking lot closest to Richland Community College there uh, to dry camping. So folks can come and spend multiple days at the show.
1: Well, it's almost here, August 29th through the 31st, Decatur, Illinois. This year's Farm Progress Show. Uh, hopefully, the weather will cooperate. Sounds like you, you'll have a great show. Uh, tell Bricks hi for me, and uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll get over there and see you this year.
6: You're not that far. I think you should come over and take a look.
1: I have to do that. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll look you up. Okay.
6: All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Mike.
1: Can you get me in? Okay. You I, find a I spot can, for me? I,
6: yeah, I, I can scare. I, I can scare up maybe a, maybe a pass for you. Come
1: okay. You. All right. Thanks, Matt. Take care.
6: All right. Thanks, Mike.
1: Matt Youngman, Farm Progress Show Manager. Again, the Farm Progress Show coming up August 29th through the 31st in Decatur, Illinois. Sounds like things are really coming together for a big show. Well, it'll soon be harvest time as well. How are we uh, as far as uh, transportation is concerned? And we're going to get an update on any projects and how things are going on, locks and dams and rail. We're going to talk with Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition. That's next right here on
0: AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
3: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike
9: Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 B.C., and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions there are twice as many pigs as there are people in denmark did you also know that china is the world's lead pork producer in 2020 they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat which equates to almost 91 billion pounds so the next time you dive into that plate of bacon know that pork is the world's most consumed meat these farm facts brought to you by the american Egg network
0: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Zach St. Aubin, a refined fuel specialist with CHS Transportation and Logistics, about how farmers can protect their operations from market shifts and dips to secure a steady fuel supply. Zach, what can producers do to safeguard some of their operation from these risks that are out there?
8: Great question. I would highly suggest taking a look at your on-site bulk fuel tank storage and determining if making an investment would be worthwhile. Ensuring that you have adequate bulk storage on your operation can ensure that you're stocked up through the busiest and priciest seasons. This may leave you wondering or questioning how much storage is enough to remain efficient and reduce the possibility of running out of fuel during those peak demand timeframes. A recommendation that that we make here is to have four days of storage capacity during your busiest timeframes. Another great opportunity to get ahead of some of these challenges is to contact your local cooperative and see if they offer a tank monitoring program or also if they offer the automated fuel delivery program Uh, which is a partnership with CHS.
0: Zach, can you tell us a little bit more, what is the Automated Fuel Delivery Program?
8: CHS and your local cooperative is committed to helping you keep your operation running smoothly, and by doing so, monitoring your bulk fuel tank allows your cooperative to ensure that you have fuel supply on hand during your peak demand timeframe, such as spring planting or fall harvest, reducing any possibility of downtime in your operation. Not only that, Mike, but it also reduces the amount of time, checking your fuel gauge, making a phone call to your local cooperative to place a fuel order, and then having to wait that fuel to be delivered. So, I mean, there's a lot of steps that could be prevented by having monitors installed on your tank and just having that fuel automatically delivered, alleviating a lot of those steps in the process. I would recommend if you do have any questions regarding automated fuel delivery or tank monitoring programs locally at your co-op, I would suggest contacting your local co-op to discuss those options with them.
0: That's Zach St. Aubin, Refined Fuel Specialist with CHS. Zach, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
1: All right, Mike Adams sitting in today. And again, Jesse Allen takes over on Monday as the new host of AOA. Right now, as we look ahead to fall harvest, we're going to talk transportation issues with Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, good to talk with you again. Um, give us an update. How are we looking on locks and dams and projects and improvements? Uh, were any problem areas, bottlenecks we may be dealing with come fall?
10: Yeah, a bit of good news, and then some some kind of what I call drought clouds on the horizon news. Um, we were very pleased uh, a couple months ago to have a groundbreaking of a new lock chamber um, north of St. Louis at Lock and Dam 25. You know, pretty much any bushel of soybeans or, or grain that gets loaded into a barge in the states of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri will go through Lock and Dam 25. So having a new lock chamber that will eventually be built there is, is clearly good news. And it's just, the result of a lot of years of advocacy and, and, um, you know, really putting our our shoulder into it by agriculture and the barge and towing industry that really was consequential in bringing that day to pass. So that's really good news. Um, You know, something that clearly is a concern to us though is, you know, we're seeing um, what could possibly be a repeat of last year's low water conditions on the Mississippi river. Uh, We had historically low levels last year, which had, Uh, an impact on the ability to transport uh, soybeans and grain to market it happened at a very inopportune time which is the harvest season which is our key export window for soybeans uh, really caused a lot of of inconvenience and and additional cost uh, to our uh, our supply chain and and when you look at where we are this year compared to last year (laughs) Uh, we're we're actually lower in a, a number of areas now than we were last year, or at least comparable to. Um, you know, just as, as a comparison, when you look at water levels on the Mississippi River in 2021 and in 2020, uh, about 20 feet higher at these various locations. So a real stark difference uh, from where we normally are. And, you know, that's something that is obviously a real concern to us. A lot can happen between now and and harvest uh, period, uh, but that's not that far in advance out of the the front windshield. So it's obviously reason for concern.
1: Yeah, keep a close watch on those water levels. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, where are we with some other improvement projects either starting or will hopefully soon?
10: Yeah, I mean, we 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 are continuing to see uh, some of this funding that was provided by the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, commonly referred to as the bipartisan infrastructure bill, that was signed into law in in late 2021. Yeah, that it was a, a massive piece of legislation. So getting the gears uh, moving to finally start distributing that funding, it, it takes a while, and we're seeing more and more of that getting uh, getting allocated. Um, seeing a number of, of grant program grants awarded to whether it's rural bridge projects um, or whether it's uh, more larger road and bridge projects. uh, It's good to see a lot of that finally come to to fruition. You know, the concern continues to be uh, infrastructure inflation. So the purchasing power um, of the dollar uh, for infrastructure projects is not what it used to be. Um, And, you know, it, all of these inputs, like steel and concrete, labor, all of these things are much more expensive, uh, even than just a few short years ago. So that's, that's something that it remains a concern. But it is good news to see new projects being built. And, and that's something where, you know, of all of the things that Congress and our federal government spends money on, you know, a lot of your average taxpayer reasonably asks, What's the? how does this make my life better? I see the federal government spending all of this money. How does it actually make my life better? And that's a real good question. And for a lot of cases, there's not a real good answer to that. But when it comes to infrastructure, the public does continue to recognize that I can see a new bridge being built. I see and understand how that benefits me, a new road being paved, a port being enhanced, all of those kind of investments. And we're obviously happy to see that continuing to, to take place. Obviously, we're we're going to continue to advocate for those things.
1: Mike, what about rail car availability for this fall's harvest?
10: Yeah, you know that's that's something where you know there's still uh, you know rail service is clearly better than it was a couple years ago. You know, one of the things that you know is kind of a concern to uh, agriculture and particularly the soybean industry is that. Um, there are some headwinds confronting our export program. We still have really strong fundamentals when it comes to, you know, the growth of soybeans, but, you know, things like the significant crop that has been produced by Brazil, because of that, there's more overlap between, you know, what's typically there used to be very defined periods of when the South American export window is, when the U S export window is. And there was kind of more of a distinct kind of spigot gets turned off, spigot gets turned on. And now when you're seeing this more, greater production with, out of Brazil, there's more of this overlap of when soybeans out of Brazil are getting exported to the, the typical U.S. soybean export window. Um, that, in combining with higher uh, the value of the U.S. dollar, which makes our exports less competitive, interest rates. That's having an impact on a lot of our international customers because that that makes the financing of these large purchases more expensive. So there's a number of these headwinds that are confronting us, which means that yeah, you know, our ex that it's having an impact on our exports, and so which that means for the supply chain is that we've been able thus far to accommodate what is what is being asked to do. So I, I think there's going to be. Uh, availability when it comes to rail service. Obviously, there's going to be examples where it's it's lacking, whether it's due to rail cars, whether it's due to crew. That's often having sufficient workers. That's often the bigger problem than versus versus just rolling stock like hopper cars and tank cars and those kind of things. But uh, it's obviously something we're going to continue to be monitoring, but we're hopeful that we'll have the capacity to handle it.
1: All right, Mike, good to talk with you again. Thank you.
10: Thank you, Mike.
1: Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. I'm back to the golf course. Jesse Allen takes over on Monday. Thanks for joining us, everyone. You're listening to AOA.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
7: Bite by bite.